now again I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me every area. It's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 If you believe you give me another amen. amen. Understanding we receive it from the Lord today and it's your portion in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God will give you direction. He will give you insight. He will make things that will shadow it clear to you. And make you know exactly what to do in that situation. If you have a decision you need to make, understanding has come to you today in the name of Jesus Christ. Alright, let's open our Bibles. I want us to start today. Now if you see from the beginning of the year, our messages have been following a particular order. Even though we change the topic once in a while. Uh, We started this year with, who can remember? What was the title? We started with hmm? wanted. Yes, thank you. I think it was wanted. All right. Okay, and then we now, of course, when we're talking about wanted, we're, t- we're talking about the kind of people that God wants, of course, and how we qualify ourselves to be such persons. And then we now said, okay, if you have been selected by the Lord, you have to be perfected into the exact image that He needs what he can use exactly the way he wants it. Alright, we talked about that now. So towards the end, we now began, we began to explain again the importance of building on the word of God. And that's what I want to pick up from again today. But I'm going to change the title so that our series will not be too long. But if anybody listening to this, just try and get it from the beginning. Wanted them perfecting the lost vessels. And then now we are talking, um, I don't know the title, we'll give this one, but we'll find it later. But let's begin today by reading from the book of um, Jude. Of course, I'm going to review what we said last time in a moment, so as to dovetail into uh, today's zone. We'll read from Jude. um, Of course, Jude has um, only one chapter, so we we are going to read from verse 17. Just to get some context and read till the end. Where I want is a particular verse there. But we'll just read these um, eight, nine verses. They're about to just get some Bible reading for today. So from verse 17. If you are there, say amen. He said, but you beloved. He said, you ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. Now please, before I continue reading, I want you to understand that these people, you know, I thought about it, these are not unbelievers. The mistake we have made a lot of times when we are reading the Bible is that we will assume that those scriptures are talking to unbelievers. We read some things, you would think that they are referring to unbelievers. But I have found out, having read my Bible, that when you find the apostles, especially somebody like Paul, writing some very critical words like this, usually he's referring to Christians. You see John, he will mention a particular man's name that likes to have preeminence and put people out of the church who don't agree with him, but they won't allow them to receive the real apostles of God. He was talking about believers. And every time I find that they come harshly, in judgment against those people, almost all the time I'm aware of, they are talking about believers. You understand? Now, it's very important we understand it. So, many times we hear, read some of these things, we wrongly judge and think they are talking about unbelievers. No, they were talking about church members. So, bear it in mind. So, he said, 
that at the last time there will be mockers. You'll find them in church, not on the streets, falling after their own ungodly lust. That's not a big deal if you're unbelievers. Are you getting my point? Uh-huh. He said, these are the ones who cause divisions. Can you see that? So they are inside the church causing divisions. He said, they, are, they cause divisions. They are worldly minded. They are devoid of the spirit. But you, that's as opposed to people like um, uh, Philip, who was chosen for being full of the spirit. You can have Christians that are devoid of the spirit, just like you have people who are full of the spirit. So he said, but you, that is, I'm writing to you not to be like them. He said, what should you be like? But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear. Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And I conclude by saying, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his, holy, of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. He says, now, where I want actually is that verse 20, into verse um, 21, verses 20 and 21. So let me read that again. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, that is the foundation for what I am going to be teaching. Um, do I say beginning from now on, and of course, at the same time, continuing from last time. We are kind of starting a new series today, but it's actually a continuation of what we were teaching last time. And I'm going to try and review something I said last time. Okay, as last message in the series of uh, Perfecting the Lord's Saints, to start uh, this one, Building Yourself Up on Your Faith. Now, we explained something last time. Let me just go over a few of those things again. One, if God wants to bless you, the first thing he gives you, and one of the signs that God is blessing you, is that he's correcting you. It's not that he's giving you something, but that he's correcting you. He's changing the way you do things. He's giving you new instructions about life. The sign that somebody is blessed. You know, the Bible says that this is the one that is blessed of the Lord, that him he will teach. He said, who is it that fears the Lord? Him he will do what? Teach in the way that he should choose. That is the sign that God is blessing you is that he's giving you instructions. It's not that he's giving you material things. It's not that he's filling your life with money. But that he's teaching you concerning how to live. He's teaching you in the instructions of life. You know, my children and I, we studied the book of um, uh, Proverbs. And I find that very, very instructive. Let me just read something from that book of Proverbs, which um, we bless us so much. If you see the way the book was introduced, Proverbs chapter 1, it said, The Proverbs of Solomon, to know wisdom and instruction. See the way it goes. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise, to receive instruction in wise behavior. New Living Translation, their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right just and fair are you are you following that he said let them understand righteousness 
justice, and equity. That's New American Standard. Remember what God said concerning um, Abraham. I have chosen him. Why? So that he would teach his children and his household after him the way of the Lord. So they would know how to do righteousness and justice. He said when that is put in place, then God will be able to fulfill the things that he promised concerning Abraham. If the blessing of God, therefore, is going to be uh, you know, upon anybody's life manifested, if it's going to come to pass in anybody's life, the first thing God does is to teach the person the right things in life. The first thing he does is to give us instructions concerning righteousness, justice, and equity, so that we will know what is right to do. Like what we declare all the time, I am being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice the next line, as a result of it, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. This is very important because, you see, no matter how much God wants to bless, if you are not doing what is right, he cannot bless. I need to say it again. You see, sometimes people think they misunderstand this grace thing. Grace is often misunderstood. Grace does not mean whatever I do, I'm still blessed because my blessings are in Abraham. Grace does not mean I have been blessed in Christ Jesus So that blessing must manifest no matter what happens. That's not what grace means. Jesus came. You know what he said? He was full of grace and truth. Notice something he said about Jesus Christ. The law was until, that is, um, how did it go again? Law came through Moses. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now follow this. That is, there is something about knowing truth, walking in truth, that allows the power of God to manifest in your life. Grace is the power of God that walks towards the person who believes. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That if you are going to become anything in life, it will be because grace, God's grace is manifested in your life. But that grace is never manifested except you are walking in truth. The extent to which you, re- you discover truth and walk in it, that is the extent to which you can receive the grace of God to manifest in any area of your life. Let me say that again. The extent to which you receive truth and walk in it. That is the extent to which the grace of God can be manifested in any part of your life. So when God wants to add a blessing to an area of your life, what he does is to give you instructions. He has to give you instructions in righteousness. Let's talk about righteousness briefly again. When the Bible talks about righteousness, you must understand. There are different types of righteousness. The righteousness of the law, self-righteousness, and all of those that are the, you know, the ones that are either negative or are not consequential um, to us right now. But even amongst the things that the types are of consequence in our lives right now, there's two, there are two levels. There's positional righteousness. That is, God says, this is how it is. You and I cannot relate unless I call you righteous. Righteousness is the ability to be a friend with God. Righteousness is the ability to approach God's presence without a sense of inferiority or fear. That's what righteousness is. It's not determined by you. It is imparted into you. It's determined by God. That's what the Bible talks about, the righteousness of God. Hearing is the righteousness of God revealed. Are you getting my point? Now, that is the first line. We call it positional righteousness. So Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Having satisfied that, there's another level in which John said, He that doeth righteously is righteous. The positional righteousness produces the works of righteousness in your life. Are you getting my point? There are the works that are in keeping with righteousness. John will tell you about producing works that are in keeping with repentance. If you say you have righteousness with God, it must produce certain works. And if it does not produce those works, then your righteousness is fake. God does not accept you to leave you the way he met you. 
God accepts you to change you into his own image. I hope you are getting my point here. You cannot relate with God and remain the way you used to be. And that's how, look, I don't want to, there are so many things to explain to us again. That's why James talked about faith without works being dead. You cannot relate with God truly and be the way you used to be. His nature, his spirit will infuse into you. When you come out, something will be different about you. That's just the way it works. So if anybody truly is working with God, it will show in his life. Now I'm saying something here. So grace. So if we believe, grace is released to us. But for the blessing of that grace to come into into our practical lives, we are corrected in the way we do things. We learn. That's why, you know, so when the Bible says use the word righteousness a lot of times, he's actually not talking about the positional one. He's talking about the experiential one. He's talking about the walk in righteousness. The way I walk day by day, step by step in righteousness. For example, Jesus will say, seek first the kingdom of God. And what? His righteousness. He wasn't talking about positional righteousness in that particular situation. He was saying, learn the way God wants you to walk. So every day, I'm seeking the establishment of God's kingdom and the order in the kingdom. The order in his kingdom is called God's righteousness. Please, I hope you are following my point here. That is, you see, when God gave Israel the law, are you getting my point? The law was unique. The things they had to deal with in that law was very unique. The nations around them were not like them at all. That is, you get to Israel, the way they treated, for example, inheritance, it was different from the way people around treated inheritance. The way they treated slaves was different from the way people around treated slaves. Are you getting my point? That is, there are times God will say that you can hold a slave only for this length of time. If that slave was to get injured, he has to go free. In Israel, one of the things you notice was that the rich and the poor were treated exactly the same as far as the law was concerned. The only time God treated the rich and the poor differently was when he was making demands of them. So if your child, if your wife had a son and you had to come all right, to the temple with a sacrifice, if you had the means, there was a level of sacrifice you brought. But if you were poor, he allowed you to bring turtle doves. Instead of going and getting a whole, you know, a ram, you know, that kind of thing. So, but otherwise, when it comes to, if you injure, if you kill a poor person, kill a rich person, Israel treated them exactly the same way. It was not like that in the societies around them before. The codes of Hammurabi that they were using distinguished between, if you kill somebody, the person was poor, you paid. When the person was rich, you died. But in Israel, no, the Lord did not allow that. They had different kinds of law. How you harvested was decided by God. Now, I'm not doing something here. The Bible calls all of those things the righteousness of the law. I hope you're getting my point here. That was the righteousness of the law. So that way, you walked in Israel as a kingdom of God on the earth at that time, According to certain principles. Now, in the kingdom of the Lord in Christ Jesus, you understand? We also have codes. We also have laws. We also have instructions in righteousness. Are you getting my point? What is instruction in righteousness? How do we do things that will be pleasing to God? Like we confess, we are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. And that is the primary thing God gives to you. Instruction in how to please him in all respects. Except you are walking in those instructions, you are not going to get blessed. It's just not possible. He can't do anything about it. So anyone fears the Lord, he starts teaching him what he should choose. How he should behave. So a man and a woman, they're a family, of course, husband and wife. And they're always having problems. And somebody prays for them. And they come and pray to God for the peace of God in their home. God will say, good, it is granted. You understand? He puts a dose. Let's just borrow the expression. 
positional happiness. You know, we're talking about positional righteousness. So it gives them positional happiness. It gives them positional joy. Now you have joy in the Holy Spirit and they live there. The next thing they should start doing is learning how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in every respect in that home. Otherwise, they will never experience that joy. They will have this euphoria. Having come from the presence of the Spirit, it will last them for like a day. It will last two days, maybe a week at most. But if it's going to be persistent, if it's going to be sustained, they will have to convert that thing they have learned into practical ways to relate with one another. It is not as if, now please get, my, get me right. It is not as if those practical things, you will go and teach it to a Muslim, he will get the same joy. You go and teach it to an unbeliever, he gets the same joy. No, it is just that this is the way by which the blessing of God is released in the lives of those who are truly believers in Christ Jesus. I call it creating the channels. Building the pathway for the release of his power. Putting things in order. Putting your um, altar back so that the fire can fall on your sacrifice. So we're saying that, so these are not like, these are the principles anybody can use. No, this is the way by which you build the pathway, the channels for God's grace. Now, back to the word grace. For God's grace to be released into that house. For God's joy, which we are using as an example, to continually abide in those in that home. So, except we have the knowledge of what is right, we cannot receive the blessing of God. I'm not saying, except we have the knowledge of what the society thinks is right. It is what God says is the way by which we should walk. It's called the righteousness of God. Practical righteousness now. Are you getting my point? That's what Jesus meant when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. That is, what is the order by which people walk in his kingdom? He wasn't talking about faith in Christ Jesus being righteousness imputed to us. He was saying, when you have received that, you will find yourself in the kingdom of God. Then you pursue on a daily basis what is right to do. So last time we explained that that is why you must love correction. That's why you must love instruction. Every day you must be constantly learning. There's something the Holy Spirit does. He guides your, 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 your learning. He exposes to you what you are supposed to know. And the reason why he does it is because, of course, he's trying to make you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But the point I want to bring out is that he knows that that is necessary for you to step into the next level of God in your life. The instructions of God come in different categories. There are instructions for everybody. Usually written in the Bible. You listen to the teaching of the word, you will learn them. Available for everybody, that's one. There's a second instruction that's personal to each person. That is, as, as you are learning the word of God, you start knowing that some things you can't do. Some things are wrong for you to do. Both of them are important. And when we're talking about different aspects of the word of God, we talked about, um, you know, commandments, and we're talking about testimonies. And of course, just to go over that again, we said the word of God has, we decipher this or distill this out from Psalm 119. One, the word of God has promises. David used the expression, thy word. No, no, revive me according to thy word. That is thy promises. Christians usually know the promises very well. I shall not die, I shall live. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, this is my point. Um, uh, Philippians 4, verse 19. Which is what? The God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. We know things like, by the strife of Jesus Christ, I have been healed. These are the promises of God. We all know that. Then we say, secondly, there are precepts. Precepts are the principles of the kingdom. By we will walk. And then number three, there are direct instructions, commandments that God has given us. 
love your wife as Christ loved the church. Be subject to your own husband. Direct. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Direct instructions that he has given us. Okay? Then we said there are testimonies. What are testimonies? There are customized or personalized instructions. Things that having interacted with the Holy Spirit, having interacted with the word of God, along the line you discover that God does not want you doing this thing. It may be okay for everybody, but it's not okay for me. And then of course, last of all, there's what we call ordinances. What are ordinances? These are practical things that we do to connect with spiritual realities. For example, participating in the communion table is one of those ordinances. You understand? Baptism is one of those ordinances. Alright? But let me just get back to the thing I wanted to emphasize. That is the issue of commandments. Alright? And testimonies. So you see, you know instructions that are common to everybody. But are instructions you also learn that are personalized. They are just your own alone. But you know the truth? When you know them, you know them. You will know that this is something that I cannot do or I must do. Now for some people, now, a lot of times, you, got, you get to that point as a result of spiritual development. Why? God just gives it to you as understanding, as you are seeing life. You are just seeing life. You just see some things are good, some things are acceptable but not necessary. You understand? All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Amongst those things that are lawful, that are not expedient, the Holy Spirit helps you to narrow on something, and you know for your own life, where you are going, this thing is harmful. Even though lawful, it is harmful. For you, you cannot stand now and preach to everybody. They won't even understand. It's going to create unnecessary divisions and arguments. But for you, for the progress of your life, it's important. Now, I'm going to emphasize something else here. That you see, so that's what the Holy Spirit does. He keeps teaching you. The moment you stop learning, you have stopped advancing. Listen, let me say it to you again. If there is no new instruction in your life, you are not making any spiritual progress. Your spiritual progress ended at your last instruction. Listen, that's just the way it is. It ended. The last time you stopped learning something new by which you are supposed to walk. I'm not saying you are dead. Are you getting my point? I'm not saying you will not prosper. I'm just saying you have been capped at a particular level. For you to experience the blessing of that level, you must fully walk in the instruction of that level. You must. You must be seen to be walking in the instruction of that level constantly. And until you have fulfilled that level's instruction, that is in, in participation, in the obedience, you are not going to, God will not reveal anything new to you. There's only pastor who used to say those things when we were in Lagos. He said you can hear many things, intellectually assimilate many things. He said, but each time God is only saying one thing to you. He said each time there's just one thing you are learning. Now, my own understanding over time is this. That thing, you keep on going through it step by step. It, keep, it keeps on getting clearer and clearer to you. For some people, it's just the way you manage your time. So one scripture keeps coming back to you. You know, how did Paul say it again into the Ephesians? Redeeming the time for what? The days are evil. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. You know the, word, the meaning of the word redeem? Buy. It means buy. Exchange something for something for time. So sometimes, <laughs> I want to give you a funny example. Sometimes exchange money. That's like when I say money now, it's like there was a season in your life. You know now they say that the rich and the poor they have these characteristics. 
the rich man waste money to save time. The poor man waste time to save money. Now, listen. <laughs> it depends on the what you have in abundance at each point in time. Are you getting my point? Okay. So, you're at a particular point in your life in which you are spending time. I don't want to use the word waste. You are spending time to save money. And the instruction you had seemed to be, oh, that is prudence. That's wisdom. So, here people preach things like, and I can preach it too. And I do preach things like that. And I tell young people, so you are going to Lagos. What are you doing at the airport? Are you getting my point? Is your brother the pilot? You know, we make jokes about it. Everything you have so for and labor for in one month, is you just pay the flight ticket to go to Lagos and come back. You don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you that you don't belong there. You know where you belong? The young. Are you getting my point? That is, somebody will carry you to Lagos for 3000 and return you for two five. Are you getting my point? That's what you need. You don't want somebody who will carry you to Lagos and bring you back for 45000 It makes no sense. That's what you earn in a whole month. You don't spend such money by faith. Are you getting my point? I'm buying a ticket by faith. I know where I'm going in life. You have not reached there, bros. Are you getting my point? We know where you are going. We say don't die before you get there. The way you are going, you will die. Sometimes some, some, sometimes some people just don't have any sense at all. You understand? You're broke, you're busted, you're disgusted, you're owing everybody. And you still go and borrow money to buy a flight ticket. Some things are just pure. No, some things, some things are just foolishness. There are times you know how to save money. So, let me not sit on that the money management issue now. But you're at a particular season of your life. Then, now, see, that's one thing about Christianity. The word of God is what? Alive. I want to focus on that word, alive. It's alive. That is, I'm alive, alright, as a human being. There are times I decide to walk, there are times I decide to drive. Being alive, I look at myself, where am I going? I choose what I wear. Do you understand my point? Okay? The word of God is also alive. The instructions that it exposes to each person, because it is alive, you look at the situation and expose the particular instruction to you. And that's why it's so difficult a lot in Christianity to make a firm set of rules for everybody. Just by the way, that's why it's also very difficult for you to criticize people. You don't know what is happening in their lives. It's difficult to judge. Like I say all the time, they say, why there are so many poor people. Why should anybody fly a private jet? I said, when you say things like that, you just tell me the level of ignorance you are living in. I can't discuss with you. I don't have a private jet. I'm not flying one. I'm not planning to buy one. You know why I'm not planning to buy one? David said things too wonderful for me. I don't get involved in them. So, no, not spiritual. Just common sense, you know. <laughs> but the people who are doing it, I don't know what they are doing. I don't know how their life is moving. I'm not in their shoes. So I leave them for a moment. Are you getting my point? Now, see what I'm saying. So this particular individual now, a point comes, God is increasing you, so you're a wise person, you don't go near the airport, you're always at the young, then you sit four in a row, I don't know how many in a row, but you get to Lagos and you come back. Then God increases you. Then after a while, you realize that eight hours on the road, four hours to rest after is not the will of God. Because after staying eight hours on the road, bros, it takes four hours for your blood circulation to return. 
after sitting rigidly. Let me just give an example, another example. Every time I have flown internationally, even locally, I usually go economy. There was a time somebody said, ah, we fly our guests, business class. I said, it's not necessary. It's a one-hour flight. It's Lagos. So, I thought the best don't bother. Do you understand my point? Now, so it looks okay, no problem. Now, you don't blame me, actually, because when you check the difference in the price, international now, between economy and business class, Ross, Let's just leave it like that. <laughs> the difference is huge. If you now, if you now go first class, father, father. Well, that economic class, like somebody said, if the plane crashes, all of us are dying, whether you pay $10,000 or you pay $1,500. But some people, you actually be in that plane, they pay $1,500. But the guys up front pay $10,000, $8,000. And they will not get there, you know, they won't get there one minute faster than you. So, if you don't understand what I would do, what's the use? If you just be wasting money, leave it. Like I said, you're not in their shoes. But there's a man called Ravi Zacharias. He's a preacher. Ravi Zacharias spends two-thirds of his life flying internationally. I don't mean local flights. He may have a meeting today in Lagos. The next meeting is in Los Angeles. The one after that is in Tokyo. So he's finishing with you in Lagos this evening. He takes the last, the, the, the London flight out of Lagos by 10 p.m. Next morning, he's in London. He's giving a lecture. You don't realize I gave the same lecture yesterday night in Lagos. When he's done in London, he takes a flight across the Atlantic. You know what that means? If he flies economy, he will die in a year. I mean that literally. He will die. No, that's not a joke. I'm not trying to, I'm, I don't mean, I mean, he will have deep vein thrombosis and die. Because the only time he gets to sleep is when he's on board. Most of the time he's sleeping, he's on a plane. So as a law, he has to have a place to stretch. So if you're inviting him, you have to buy minimum business class. If you really love him, buy first class. If you can't afford it, leave the money alone. You shouldn't be the reason why he will die. Because you can't sit upright like this. You are not a Hindu. Every time you finish preaching, you are sitting upright. When you are not preaching, you are standing. When you are not sitting upright, you are standing preaching. When you are done, you are sitting upright. Habba. The man will get deep in thrombosis and die. So at a particular point in time in his life, God will have to tell him, Oh boy, your life is worth, more than, to, is worth much more to me and to the church than the $10,000 you are trying to save. Do you get my point here? So back to where we're, example we're giving. So God, for a man at a particular point in time, God says to him, the Holy Spirit starts, the living word starts revealing itself to this young man. Now your time is getting more valuable. I can't let you have 12 hours wasted to get to Lagos. 12 hours wasted to come back. And how do I prove it to you? Look at the cash flow in your life. Do you understand my point? Look at the things you have to do. Henceforth, I don't want to find you at the young. From now on, go to the airport. Why? We are buying back what? Time. We are buying back time. 
Now, those who are, the, who are now in the level you used to be in, they'll be there. Don't mind the America. He too thinks he has joined the big boys. Don't mind. <laughs> they don't understand. Now, I'm using this to explain something to you. So, the Holy Spirit says, redeeming what? The time. is a new instruction for you. You get my point. It's a new instruction. It's an, it's, it doesn't mean that if there are no places, you won't go anywhere. It just means if they are there. Please, check the 12 hours. Compare that with the, well, okay, put everything together, two hours, because flight is one hour, 30 minutes to get, 30 minutes to get out of there, you know, all of that put together, if all things work well. Say, look, 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 look. That money for you at your level now, I need that 10 hours. I think the money is cheaper. A new instruction. For some people, let's leave flights and money matter. Said, <laughs> you've watched your last game, life. Do you hear what I said? Yes. You've watched the last game. And you're only 35. And he said, you are not watching any live match again. You will not fix time and adjust schedule because 12 men who are earning 20 million naira a week want to run against 12 other men who are also earning 20 million naira a week. Or who they've never sent you a tithe or an offering. And their coach is also any 20 million a week. And if, that is, listen, you are not going to be part of the reason there will be any so much money when you are not earning any money. So God says, henceforth, no life matches for you. Notice I said what? Life. Because there are times you are bored. There are times you are on holiday. And they are showing one match they played three weeks ago, which you know the result already. So you sit down there, you're watching. He said, but I don't want you keeping any appointment with any television program. Apart from things that are critically in line with what you have to do. It becomes the next instruction for your own level. So gone are the days when the boys say, well, when are we meeting? We'll watch it live. Where? At, uh, in front of uh, Mama Emily's place. Okay, I'll meet you there. Who's buying the beer? You know those kind of rubbish. Now when they call you, I say, guys, I won't be covered. Why not? Oh, well, I'm busy. And sometimes they will find you busy doing what? Reading. Busy doing what? Answering emails. Busy doing what? Listening to a message. Busy doing what? Sleeping. I hope you know sleep is part of life. Those when I was in school. I used to watch TV a bit. I don't know how I learned it. I never watched any series. No matter how good. I don't know how many of you remember another life. How many people are old enough to remember another life? Another life was a Christian program. Do you remember that? The, if they were, they used to show seven thirty. Seven thirty on campus, University of Benin, where I was, everywhere went quiet. Everybody, believers, unbelievers, they've gone to watch another life. Then one day I was in my friend's room. They had a TV in that room, and I watched another life. Next, they happened to be in the same room at the same time, and I watched another life. The third day, I happened to be in the same room at the same time. As I started the program, I picked my bag. I said, I'm going. Say why? I said, this is about the thought I'm about to watch another life. I said, I'm about to form the habit. I said, I, I break it. I walked away. All through my stay, at least my senior years on campus, I refused to maintain any appointment with any TV program. One of my classmates, crazy human being, I asked him, I said, you don't come for fellowship again? He said, I, I made a covenant, a covenant with God never to miss another life. The guy is not normal today. <laughs> I'm not joking. 
back now. I said, this is the way God will have contained his madness. But he was making that. <laughs> the Lord is good. <laughs> he said he made a covenant to watch another life. How I knew that time, I don't even know. But I know that I just knew once it's a TV series. I was in school. I showed it every day. I deliberately refused to follow it. Tell the stories, I'll listen. I just I'm not watching. Why? My reason was simple. It was habit forming. Once I watched that one, two episodes, I wanted to know what will happen tomorrow. Even though it wasn't deliberate, if I think I remember why I, used, I was going at that particular point in time, my friend would want to go, I mean, we are going to class together. It's okay. When you are coming, because my room was farther away from, from class than his, so you stop by, you know, and say, oh boy, are you ready? Let's go. So while it's getting ready, um, the TV is on. That's how I watched it twice. The third time, I refused to come in. In fact, it started, I just got up, I left. I said, no, I don't want to form this habit. I just understood that it was out of order for me to f- use my time as a student for such a thing. I'm not going to make a law that nobody should watch television. No. But it was an instruction for me. So, back to my point. So, for some people, you just get to the point. Because, you know, you watch, you watch your, la- your last live match. When I say last, I mean last. What they were just, what is just trying to say that no appointments, nothing like Air Classico is 9 p.m. Air Classico is not bad. It's just not your duty anymore. You watch it for the last eight years. I didn't see anything. Now we, now listen to this. Now we need to move to another level. Now we need to move to another level. And that's, just, that's how it is. In my personal life, and my wife, you know, there are times we sit down and say, listen, this we can't do. Thank you very much. Nothing wrong with nail polish. I'm not saying it's out of order. But your nail polish has to be cool colored, has to be uniform, has to not be outstanding. I say, Why? I said, because if you're going to follow me anywhere, when we go to churches, most likely we will sit in front. I said, you can't sit in front and be distracting your audience. I'm making half of them wonder, is nail polish of God or not of God? <laughs> you will look nice, but just don't shout. Yeah, it became an instruction. Why? I said, you are Pastor Banky's wife. That's all. Nothing, see, I'm, I'm not making a doctrine. No. It is a lie that it will take you to hellfire. It's not true. In fact, whether you have it, you don't have it, the wickedness of your heart is what is carrying you there. <laughs> so let's get that one clear. But I just reasoned about it because I found out that almost every Christian gathering I go to, they put me in front. And if I'm with my wife, you know what that means. We will sit together in front. So you don't want to give offense to anybody. You don't want to distract anybody who's saying for the first time you're supposed to be listening to me teach. So we just try and keep it little balance. I hope you are getting my point here. Listen, everybody, you will have... Look, I'm giving still simple examples. There are spiritual ones too. You're reading life. You know, when I was young, Kenegan used to say that he has not read a detective novel in 20 years. And I couldn't understand. Why on earth wouldn't you read a detective novel in 20 years? And you say you like detective stories. Mike Murdoch says the the proof of desire is pursuit. You have not read one in 20 years. You don't like it. I used to think. Then I began to grow. I began to get busy. Then I found out 
that literally five years will pass, I don't read a novel. And literally now, in the last 15 years or more, I've only read Frank Peretti talking about novels. So I can actually say that in the last 10 years, I've only read three novels. <laughs> Do I like novels? Yes. But you've not read in 20 years? No. Why? <laughs> it's priority. There are many other things that are more defined for me to read. I have um, John G. Lake at the head of my bed. I have not read him in some time. You will now give me um, Robert Ludlum. I will now read. It's not about the, it is wrong. It is not wrong. I don't have the time. It is too low in the order of my priorities. I will read it one day. When I have the time. And if I don't have it now, when would that day be? So some things are permanently out of my life. Yeah, I can remember two other books I've read. This is a law, this is detective man. And I like you know, things I learned from. I just remember this man that writes law books. Yeah, gone research. Yeah, so I probably read yeah. Now this is when I go and there are times I buy books. Ah, this book I'll buy this I'll read, I'll read. it's still there, I've not yet read. So without realizing it, I now understood, of course, uh, over time, I now understood why Ken Higgins said he hadn't read in a very long time. That he has not had that time. So you see, each one of us, that's a, I, I'm talking about testimonies. Each person will have some personalized instructions that he or she must follow. And the moment, listen to this, the moment there is no new instruction in your life, just know your progress has been stagnated. It may be very high, doesn't mean you are low. Stagnation does not mean low. It just means you are at the same point. I'm doing ministry now. People give me testimony. I've been blessed. I've been blessed. And I, I know a time will come to move to another level of blessing people, to be able to handle a new level of grace that God wants to pour out. There must be something new I will learn and a new sacrifice I will have to make, a new instruction. There's somebody who said, I forgot who I was listening to. He said, That's how you make spiritual progress. You give up something. It's not as you are paying. It's just that each level in life has a new demand. Remember, except you give up that thing or you learn, and you learn that instruction and start working in that instruction, there is a blessing that God wants to give. It will never touch your hand. So that's why some arguments are not necessary. Eh? Is, it, is it right for a Christian to do this? It depends on where you are going in life. Like we said at that time, if you remember, that you don't, that certain things are not banned for athletes. Performance enhancing drugs are banned. Anabolic steroids are banned. Amphetamines, ephedrines, and things like that, you know, they are banned. Certain painkillers are banned for performance, that's to, that enhance performance. However, there's no ban on Valium <laughs> for athletes. There's no ban on it. There's no ban on aqua before races. You can eat it if you want. You know why? You, you are hurting yourself. So IWAF will not. That's IAF. They will not tell you don't eat it. But Usain Bolt will not eat it. Gail Davis almost died because the drugs prescribed to her for her ailment by her doctor. Some of them were banned by IAAF 
And the woman wanted to run. So she almost killed herself not taking her drugs. She realized that there will be encumbrances to her destiny. So when Christians recognize they have a destiny, when Christians recognize they have a grace to carry, they by themselves strip off certain encumbrances. With every encumbrance you set, you know, you release from your life, you make spiritual advancement. You are able to receive something that God wants to pour into your life. Back to where we began from. So Jude said, build up yourself on your most holy faith. That is what I'm bringing up from, uh, bringing up from there. He said, on our most holy faith. That's the job I want to focus on. Sometimes people say, yeah, um, build up yourself on your most holy faith. How do you do it? Praying in the Holy Ghost. That's not the way I understand it. Praying in the Holy Ghost is another thing you do. I hope you're getting my point. Look at it. Look, look into your Bibles. We grew up those days learning it like that. He said, but you beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's how we read it. But if you look at it properly, what he said is this. You beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, there's a command there, Praying in the Holy Spirit, commander, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, what I understand from there, he gave a number of instructions. And one of them, he said, is what? Build yourselves on your most holy faith. Another one is pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, I am not discussing praying in the Holy Spirit now, even though... It's a very important one. It's just not our topic for this moment. Are you getting my point? Our topic for this moment is what? Building yourself up on your most holy faith. Everything I've said up to this point, well, just to amplify what we said last time, that listen, for God to release a new blessing into our lives, he releases a new instruction. The instruction allows us to to receive the new blessing and to carry it. The instruction allows us to manifest a new level of grace. We are not succeeding or getting anything in life by our own power. It is by the grace of God. But for the grace of God to work, we learn righteousness. We learn practical righteousness. We learn it. You know, if you were in my last uh, convention, if you can get a hold of the minister's uh, uh, meeting. Pastor Corey talked on money. Alright? I forgot what I preached about, but you know, I wasn't listening to myself, so I forgot it. But I remember what he preached about. And I think everybody, preachers and non-preachers, should listen to that message. Why am I talking about it? Let me tell you, for those of you who don't know my friend, Pastor Corey, well enough, let me reintroduce him to everybody. He got off one day, traveled to Traveled to Sokoto. He was not sent by any human being. He said he was sent by God to go and start a church. You know, of course, naturally speaking, you know what that means? You're going to go broke. And he used to believe a funny doctrine, which he renounced. He said, say, if you are called of God, and your church is not up to 100 in one year, you are that lazy. And he said, if, he said, if you start a church, after one year, they're not up to 100. You are that lazy or you are not called. So God said, no problem. I will see whether you are called. And whether you are hard working. And they got to Sokoto side of the church. And after six months, 
he was still the only member. And he knew that he was not lazy. And he was so sure he was called. So the easy thing to do was to revise the doctrine. <laughs> but this is the point I'm making. After a while, he came back home and got married. <laughs> Asked one of our sisters to marry him, and she agreed. And she traveled with him back. By that time, there were a few people in the church. You understand? There were a few. church was now growing. Now, why I'm giving this background is money matters. So money, could believe he was a full-time minister. Right the way we describe it. Then he began to explain to us that they was so blessed by it. He said one thing he noticed is that many times God supplies money. He shared some of it with us, those who were here during our minister's conference we had here a few weeks ago. But this one in Benin, he, he took time out to explain a lot of things. He gave us practical stories, practical things that he did to prove that many times God supplies our needs, but we waste the things. Get, lay a hand on the message and listen to it. The many times you are asking God for money, for money, God is not answering you. Say, why not? Say, I've been supplying that same amount of money for the last six months, but you have been eating everything. And then the money comes, you go and buy suya. Why? Because you asked me for 20000 and I sent only 500 That if you looked at it critically, you will have noticed that that 20000 you could have reduced it with that first 500 naira to 19500 by making some of the necessary expenditure. He said he lent wisdom on how to make sure that anything that God sends to him, he puts it in the proper place. There was a time he gave an example. Our alumni fellowship is currently the president. I'm the immediate past president. He used to come almost all the time, missed only very few times, okay? And cover great distances, and we, we run it, you know, free will donations. So he said initially he used to tell himself that, ah, let the other guys, I mean, I'm a, I'm a missionary, I shouldn't. He said, one day, Holy Spirit said, what's your problem? You must be a giver too. So he made up his mind, he too will give. And he started giving and giving heavy. How will he do it? Simple. I made up my mind this amount of money I'm giving is big. Until that money is paid up, any money he gets, he gives. I still remember one of our brothers gave a testimony. In fact, he, he told us his story. He gave, that brother used to get the alert. It was our secretary, general secretary. In one day, he got a lot of deposit from one man three times. So he said, what is going on? Now people want to deposit, deposit one, one day. As he gets money, he pay. Assuming he pledged, just as an example, just to make it easy, let's say it's a hundred thousand naira. There are days we pay two thousand. So in one particular day, he made three deposits. Or varying sums, as he was getting the money, as he would get a lot in his own account, somebody calls a man of God. Ah, the Lord said, I should my heart to send you something. Say thank you, God bless you. Look at what it is. He shared quickly. Come, give the fellowship his own portion. He should have done that convention, right? When he was teaching. I was so blessed by it. That's why I'm recommending for everybody to listen to the message. That listen, ha, God supplies people's needs a lot of times, but they don't notice. They waste it. Why did I tell the story? One of the things God sometimes will tell people who are praying, business people, you say, hey, wait. Go and get an accountant. Sit down and look at your business account. Let me just show how you've been spending money. Sometimes when God will show it to you, you'll be alarmed. You see how wasteful you have been, how planless you have been. 
What am I to say? Many people are asking for financial increase. God says, it's not money you need. It's extra dimension of discipline. That this phone you have right now, you will use it for the next three years. I don't want it changed. If it's paused, go and replace it. Go and, go and repair it, I wanted to say. And if they cannot be repaired, then go and buy a Nokia 1110 with touchlight and radio. So it doesn't have WhatsApp, that's your problem. You'll be without WhatsApp. I've told you, you're not changing this phone for the next three years. Because some people, and what I'm about to say now is, I just remembered some things now. Some people, that's just what their problem is. They put all their business expe- their personal expenses on the neck of their businesses. And as I start calling you, please bail me out. I can't pay my staff. Why will you be able to pay your staff when the house you are living in is being paid for by your business? And because you put on your business expenses, you are living in a house that you can only afford half of it. If you would have taken that off the business expense and put on your personal expenses, you would have realized that you are parking out of that duplex and moving to a two-bedroom flat. Instantly, you realize that you're not as broke as you think. You are less comfortable. But what's the big deal? What is comfort amongst friends? <laughs> it's not your wife and you and two children. People can manage. When you have visitors, children will come and stay within your room or sleep in the parlor. It's just so that God can promote you. Let me say something to us Christians. God is not eager to give things to us as much as he's eager to change us into better people. It's what we are becoming in life that matters to him most. It's not what we are getting. I hope you are getting my point here. So you see that what the Lord is doing each time, do you understand? Is building us up. He's helping us. See, he said, except I handle you this area. I can't bless. Listen. God is very faithful. He will not let you be stuck. Listen. If you appear stagnated, there is an instruction you have not received, or you have received, you have not obeyed, or you have obeyed, but only partially. I will say that again. If you appear stagnated, there is an instruction you have not received. Or you have received and have not obeyed. Or you have obeyed, but only partially. I'm talking to people who, their problem is not lying and cheating. Are you getting my point? God has said, look, I've dealt with lying in your life. I've dealt with sexual immorality. I've dealt with such things. I'm talking about how do I move it to a higher level? People that God is beginning to talk to on what they eat and what they don't eat. Even though those are not sins. People that he's talking to, where they go, where they don't go, who they associate with, who they don't associate with, how they spend their money. People he will even tell, I don't want using this kind of phone. That's what I'm talking to this evening. Because, listen, when God is promoting his people, he said, you know what they call fine adjustment? Oh, these days, radio, your phone scans the channels for you. Oh, you didn't use radio when you need to tune, you know, tune your television by yourself. Now, everything now is AI. Artificial intelligence. Or like the other day, Google said that Naira is, uh, is it 100 Naira to the dollar? When I can showed it to me, I said this is what they call artificial idiocy. <laughs> of course, after a while, Google, they apologized that it was a mistake. Okay? Anyway, AI is everything now. 
television scans for you. But those days, we had to scan this by ourselves. So each one, there was a cause adjustment knob. You used to turn and turn. Then when you get the channel, but it's not clear, you leave that one, go to the fine one. Now be rolling that one gently, gently. Rolling it, finally, it hits the exact channel. Bam! That fine adjustment is what I'm talking about this evening. God needs to finally adjust his people to the right frequency so that what he wants to do in them and through them can easily be done. That's what I'm talking about. We, as believers, we love instruction. We love correction. We look for it. I hope you get my point. A whole week won't pass. We've not heard somebody teach. We've not picked one thing from here and there. We are not satisfied. I can't imagine Christians still enjoying being entertained the whole Sunday. No people go to church. By the time they come, they are sweating. Not because of heat, but plenty dance entertainment. Agodai was in church today. <laughs> they laughed. And they got one musician that came to do He said, Oh, that guy can't, you know. And Pastor comes up and says, ah, Is there somebody happy in the house? <laughs> is anybody happy in the house? Ooh, everybody shouts. And you spend four hours on a Sunday morning. You go back home just happy that you were made happy. What did you learn? Nothing. And foolishly, you came back next Sunday. You are a gluten for punishment. It shows you yourself you don't want to make progress in life. Christians, we love instruction. We love, listen, we love direction. That is being instructed and being corrected with the word of God. We love it. If you're not giving it to us, we're not coming back. My time is too valuable. Don't waste my time making me laugh. Some people think the job of a pastor is to visit people. I used to hear people say that that man has the heart of a pastor. He has the heart of a pastor. What does he mean? Do you mind the first thing? He's the first on the phone. Pele, how are you? Oh, he's well with you, Pele. How are you? See, you hug you, Pele. I've not seen him for six days. How's everything? Your wedding, he joins those who go to pay bride price. He has the heart of a pastor. That ain't the heart of a pastor. The duty of a pastor is to feed with knowledge and with understanding. See, I will give you pastors after my heart. Who will give you, who will feed you with what? Knowledge and with understanding, not with belly and rubbing your cheek. That's why I don't believe. People say there are five-fold ministries. I believe in four. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. The last one is combined. Pastor, teacher. It's one office. It's not two. I'm going to read it properly. You see the way Paul wrote it out. He gave some apostles. He gave some as prophets. He gave some as evangelists. And he gave some as pastors and teachers. He didn't break it. What am I saying? If your pastor is not teaching you the word of God, he's not your pastor. He's your administrator. He's your head deacon. The duty of a pastor is to instruct you, to correct you, to take God's word, which is profitable for instruction, for correction, for teaching, for, that is for doctrine, 
for instruction in righteousness. That's what it does. We Christians, we love it. As believers going somewhere, we are always looking out for what am I to learn next. Not for, not for argument's sake, but for application's sake. What am I doing now that I'm not doing as much as God will want me to do it? What am I doing that I'm not as good as God wants? Whether I feel good or I feel bad, I ask that question because I found out over time that if you don't ask it in the time of peace, God will push you into the time of trouble so you will ask that question. I say it again. That is what Christians fast for. You know, I told you this morning I preached. I went to preach for full gospel this morning. They have have a men's program. Regional program. Southeast. So, after me spoke um, uh, Professor Samiki, he came to speak on you and your health. Something like that. He got to a point, he said something. I clapped. I was so excited. I said, oh, I'm happy. I'm not the only one saying it. He was talking about how to handle your health. How to handle your body so that it doesn't break down. He gave a number of reasons why people fall sick. And I was very impressed because he combined. I was blessed. I was tremendous. I'm happy. I was supposed to leave immediately after. But they told me to please wait. So I can take questions together with him at the end. So I waited. So I stayed there for quite some time. So he gave a number of reasons why people fall sick. He took it from the spiritual angle and the physical angle. You know, combine everything. So there's order that God has set. He talked about spiritual reasons why people fall sick. Quoted a few scriptures. For the reason some many are sick amongst you and some even die. Quoting from Paul. And he said a number of things. He now said some people, they call it fasting. Meanwhile, all they are doing is starving. He said, how can you say you are fasting? You are now using more energy than before. And you will not eat. He said, that is not fasting. That is starving. <laughs> I said, clapping. I started clapping. I was so excited. I was clapping. He said, you wake up in the morning. He said, you, he, said you, well, he was advocating that you should eat before leaving home. He said, don't deceive yourself you are fasting. If you are leaving home, eat. I don't care whether you are fasting or not fasting. You must eat. I started telling stories. How um, pastors who have fainted. <laughs> Christians who are falling seriously sick. Because they claim they were fasting. I was so excited. He said, listen, you cannot increase your, you can't have the same level of activity you used to have physically and claim you are fasting. He said, it doesn't work like that. Ha! Ah, I started clapping. I said, praise God. At least now, I can quote him. When you want to crucify him, I said, no, it's not me. <laughs> because you heard me say it for a very long time. That's not a Christian fast. You are hungry, it's not a fast. I'm one person that believes that a man fasting can eat if necessary. If hunger is disturbing, you chop something. It has not broken the fast. Because your fast is not a physical fast, it's a spiritual fast. What is a fast? That's where I'm going. It's a time we settle down to learn new things. If you want your ministry to move forward, it's not prayer alone. You will first pray, Father God, move this ministry forward. Then say, Lord, what are the instructions? And then you start looking for them. Some people are always looking for methods. No. It's instructions of the Spirit. That is, I will set, and when I say instructions of the Spirit now, it's not, uh, this man's church grew because he was, uh, he was visiting people. He started visiting people. That's a physical action. The instruction of the Spirit always has to do with attitudes and heart, you know, behavior coming from inside the heart. 
If God says that you don't care, are you getting my point? It's different from you are visiting people. Do you get what I'm explaining here? So the Holy Spirit can say that. I'm not saying he may not say that. But whatever it is, you know that you will receive new understanding, which will produce new, you know, manner of behaving. That's what we are looking for. So when Christians fast, that's what they are looking for. They don't fast because they are feeling bad. Oh God, I have sinned. I took bad shepherd from Uriah. That's David. We Christians know what we do. We confess our sins. That's how we are forgiven. When we settle down in, in fasting, you know what we do? We seclude ourselves. We take time out. We read more than before. We pray more than before. We we, we utter scriptures. We meditate on the word of God more than before. We are, you know, our hearts are tuned to instruction. I like one example. Ken Hagin gave once. He said, we're just wondering, what is going on? What is going on? He said, God just said to him, after he had prayed for like a few days, that I never called you to be a pastor to start with. So he resigned from being a pastor. There's another time he was having a problem like that. <laughs> he said, what was it now? Okay, we'll be having healing classes. He said, before he knew what was happening, had become praise worship classes, prayer classes, counseling sessions. So when the things were not going well, he began to pray. He was praying. The Holy Spirit just said, what did you call this? He said, healing school. So what are you doing? It's praise worship school. <laughs> it's counseling school. Discontinue all counseling. So it discontinued. All this singing and singing, discontinue. Just take a song or two to get people into the mood. Pray and start teaching on healing and ministering to the sick. That is what this school is about. See why, how we Christians behave? When I say we love instruction, we love correction. Listen to me, we talked about wisdom for the upright, remember that. Every time we do this, we learn wisdom. We learn practical wisdom. Not a method that everybody uses to get results, but the thing that God says, we should adjust in our lives so that his grace can flow better. That's what we Christians do. Like I said, let me get into the thing we read. So, James said, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's what I'm beginning to teach. It's something we do deliberately. We believers in Christ Jesus. We build ourselves up on our faith. We make sure that our faith is being built up. And that's what I'm talking about. We must build up our faith deliberately. Now there's something I've been teaching in recent times which... I hope in this series to consolidate and give proper order to the teachings, you know, of course, which is what we do here, so we can circulate the material everywhere. I want to go back to something we taught some time ago on what it means to have faith, to have faith in God constantly. Let me introduce that. We'll now continue from that point next time. Now we have connected between the last time and, to, and this new series. Quickly, let's go back to the book of Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 11. The book of Mark chapter 11. Remember, every Christian, we're always looking for new instructions. If new instructions are not coming to your life, or new levels of obedience to instruction is not coming in, 
then you are stagnated. You will stop making progress. Actually, by the time you stop making spiritual progress, outwardly you may still be making material progress. Why? Because it's like the, it's like the law of um, inertia. If something is moving, are you hearing my point? And you turn off the engine, like your car is moving, you take it, put it into gear. You know, even if it's on a flat ground, it will roll for some time. It can roll for the next 100 meters. Depending on the speed you started with. It can roll for the next 200 meters. But you know you're driving. The moment you disengage that stuff from gear, you notice the slowdown. Somebody who sees you may not notice you slowing. If he looks at you only one glance, he doesn't know where you started from. You understand? He doesn't know where you are going to stop, but you were moving when he looked. Sometimes when we have stopped making spiritual progress, outwardly we may still appear to be making material progress. But it's just a matter of time, there will be a slowdown. Then there will be a freeze. So this is wisdom for believers in Christ Jesus. Learn to know when you have stopped making spiritual progress. And for today, the lesson we learn is that is when we stop receiving instruction, when we're no longer making any advancement in obedience to certain rules in our lives. Bear that in mind. Okay? The book of Mark chapter 11. Remember, we're not succeeding by our strength. We are succeeding by what? Say it like you believe it. Grace. Like you really believe it. Grace. And what is grace? Is the power of God manifested towards those who believe. And when we are obeying instructions. Obedience to instructions is a sign of faith. And that is activating grace in our lives. Mark chapter 11. Story of the fig tree. Let's just read it again. We're supposed to start from verse um, 11. Alright? He said, Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then verse 15. He came to Jerusalem. He scattered the temple. And then verse 19. When evening came, he would go out of the city. As they were passing, verse 20 now. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree with that from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Let me stop reading here, so as to save our time. Now, if you read that um, verse um, 22 in the Amplified Bible, I always look like to do that. Listen to what he says, Amplified Bible verse 22. 
And Jesus replying said to them, Have faith in God constantly. Have faith in God constantly. Make sure that your faith in God is constant. Literally in Greek he says, Have the faith of God. Live a life of faith before God. That's what he was saying. Now, remember we are talking about building up your most holy faith. Building up your faith is what we are talking about now. Here in this particular situation, what was God saying? Of course, remember, Jesus cursed the tree. Again, the way I understand it, without trying to curse the tree. He was not trying to exercise for show spiritual energy. My understanding, because the Bible says that he was like us, you know, he was, you know, he became like us, telling every way. He was he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. What that tells you is that sometimes he too gets frustrated. Sometimes he gets angry. You've seen that a lot of time, a number of times. He got angry because they refused to acknowledge the obvious answer to his question. He got angry because they were exchanging funny things in the temple. You saw that here. He used to get angry. He used to get frustrate, frustrated. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He said, how I wished, how I desired to have gathered you like a hen, gathered her cheeks, but you will have none of it. It was frustration. Do you understand my point? Now, what am I trying to say? I believe in this particular situation, he also was frustrated. He looked at the tree, and he was disappointed. Like one guy said, was one of these comedians, I don't know which one, but his stuff was flying around at the time. He said, some people don't know how important they are in your life. That can you imagine this woman that fries that cara did not come today, and I've already bought the bread. Do you remember that joke? It was flying around some time. It was about two years ago. The man said, some people don't know how important they are in your life. <laughs> so somehow we, we, we all get frustrated. So they go to the Akara woman's place. Where madam said, yeah, he traveled for Mugo. For what now? I don't buy bread now. <laughs> the Lord is good. So I believe that Jesus got to that tree, hoping to see something. So when he didn't see it, even though the Bible tells us clearly, it was not the right season actually. But he had hope. He had expectation that when I get there, I'll see something. Because he was hungry. And don't think that anytime Jesus was hungry, he laid his hand on his stomach. I'm a son of God. I don't need to eat food. Come on, food. <laughs> That's why I always find it funny. Where Christians say they want to fast and they are rebuking hunger. Hunger is never rebuked. You know why? It's not a bad thing. It's not the lust of the flesh. It's a need of the food, stomach. So I rebuke hunger right now. I rebuke hunger right now. Hunger is a shoe. I be like a devil. <laughs> so I, you know the rebuke I know? He said, bros, when did you eat last? He said, 6 p.m. yesterday. He said, it's 9 o'clock today. That is 15 hours after. I cannot be rebuked. So I'm putting my body under. He said, bros, I'm where you kept me. Just give me food. I will go under. I, trust me. <laughs> the Lord is good. Anyway, when Jesus was hungry, he went to get something to eat and he didn't find out of disappointment. He uttered, now this is my own understanding. You can argue this, but this is what I'm convinced about. He spoke out of disappointment. He said, no one will eat of your fruit again. It's the way you and I will express, you know, anger. Your car stops on the road. I say, what kind of useless car is this? Thank God Jesus doesn't say such things about us. Because if he says, which kind of useless car is this? That car will never work again. 
And we saw it here. In fact, after that day, like one man said, Peter started walking behind Jesus. <laughs> Before he used to just walk anyhow. After that day, he said, stay in front of him. <laughs> stay in front, stay in front. <laughs> stay in front because next thing he says, who's that idiot? Ah, that's it. Your brain will just melt. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord is good. <laughs> so I'm convinced that day he just spoke out of frustration. But this is the point. His words were so powerful. Even though he was not thinking of the fig tree, as soon as he uttered the words against the fig tree, the fig tree began to shrivel from the roots. The roots died, and the whole tree died after so many hours. Are you getting my point? Why did the tree do that? Simply because the power in his soul was so great. And the father had released the word. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. You must listen to him. Now, did I ask Jesus, what happened? He said, have faith in God constantly. Now, let's talk about that constancy of faith, which is what this series of teaching is about. Faith in God must be constant. The mistake we make, the major problem with faith, having been a Christian studying the word of God for a long time, I find out that they have found out over time that the major problem with faith that Christians have is that they think it's something they just take when they need, when they are in, in trouble. When they are healthy, there's no need for faith. But when they are sick, of course, initially you call the doctor, and the doctor says, see me, there. he does one or two tests, and when you, when you come to hear the result of the test, you, are, you see the face of the doctor, immediately you know there's trouble. They now go back home, and then pick up the faith, say, honey, why did you kill down my face? I, 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 which one? Yeah, I used it like, that was like six weeks ago, or... Three months ago, my faith, my faith, where is it? Check the head of the bed. Oh, these children removed it from here. Okay, check inside the closet. The top level. Above where you keep your boxers. <laughs> Start looking for the faith. Why? There's a problem. The faith has been archived. You've even forgotten where you kept it. Now there is trouble that you have to look for it. For it. That has been, in my own understanding, the major problem of faith. It's not used regularly. It's not built regularly. Then in emergency situations, we go and pick it. And because it's a spiritual substance, it's alive. What, one thing you know the bad things that are living is that when they are not used, they shrivel. We call it atrophy. They begin to shrink. For example, if I were to just put your arms, you know, put it in a cast, many of us don't understand what I'm saying, and for that reason, you can't use your muscles and they keep it like that for maybe three months, six months. By the time you remove the cast, the arm is thinner. Why? The muscles have they've atrophied. They, they become smaller. When athletes go into, not athletes, I want to say astronauts, when they go into space, they are in zero gravity a lot of times. You understand? You're not on the moon. You're just orbiting the earth. There's no gravity. So you know what they do? If, if they didn't do anything, when they come back to the earth, they won't be able to move. So what they do is that they, they have exercise equipment there just to make sure you use your muscles. Otherwise, when you come back to the earth, after many, many months of being in space, you won't be able to walk. In the same manner, if you keep your faith hanging somewhere, then you now go and pick it after six months, and you want to use it, it will not work. That is what I have found to be a problem with faith. People want to pick it up when they have a problem, to solve an emergency and then 
they are surprised that they said declare the scriptures 10 times and they have declared it 50 times. It's not working. It's not working. Why? Because the faith is tired. The faith is weak. So Jesus said, make sure you have faith how constantly, basically use your faith all the time. That is how you build the faith. That's how you build your life. You build the faith in your life. You use it constantly. You build up on that faith. So they asked Jesus, how come you just altered now? That's why I tell, said everything I said about Jesus there. His words were kind of casual, pretty casual. Because, I mean, it's different from when he woke Lazarus up from the dead. In which case, he made a speech. Brethren, watch me. You're about to see the raising of the dead. <laughs> He didn't say that like that, but are you getting my point? He said that, I'm happy I didn't come. I'm, I've come now so that you might believe. He now prayed openly. He said, Father, I normally wouldn't pray this loud, but so that they will believe that you sent me. So he did everything he did. So basically, there was some warm-up. Are you getting my point? There was some warm-up. There was some warm-up. He now said, Father, I thank you because you have heard me always. And in fact, he said everything he said. He now spoke in the hearing of everybody. Lazarus, come forth. And he wanted them to hear. There's a bit of warm-up. So, it was a very difficult situation. That's what made it dramatic. But he warmed up a bit. But in this case of the fig tree, there was no warm-up. He was not even thinking about it, really. He just got there and just spoke casually. This, this is a very useless tree. Let's go. Nobody wait from it again. Let's go. And he left. And the tree died. That is, the faith was so powerful. Even when he spoke casually. You know one of the things I'm learning these days? I'm not perfect yet. But I'm trying. And that is, even when I want to joke, I shouldn't joke about things that cannot be take, taken literally. There are enough things to say that if taken literally, oh, you understand, evil will still will not happen. Are you getting my point? Uh-huh. Maybe you get downstairs now, and you see somebody with an old car, say, oh boy, see your Bentley. You know if you take it literally, it's a good thing. <laughs> I don't know if I get my point. I mean... Maybe you pack one old um, Toyota Tessel. Do they still make things like that? You know how old Tessel is? So maybe I want to help you. I say, oh boy, see your helicopter. Okay, we had a car we used to call it helicopter. So one day I was somewhere. <laughs> I, I don't know what I remember that day. Okay, I, I called him on the phone. I traveled, so I was, I, I was sitting somewhere. And I asked him, please, can you help me get the keys from school? That's okay. Take, I said, um, will you take the helicopter? So he knew what I meant. He was on the other end of the phone. He knew what I meant. One man sitting near me, he turned to look at me. Like, who is this guy that's sending his, somebody to go and take his children from school with the helicopter? <laughs> <laughs> so when I finished the phone call, I dropped the phone. I told the man, it's not a literal helicopter, sir. It is just an old car we have in the house that we are calling a helicopter. So, I'm going to learn that so that if, you know, we, we keep getting better because I realize that some of the things I do, Jesus wouldn't do them. Yes. Some of the jokes I crack, Jesus would never crack them. He wouldn't because if he, because his words could be taken literally. God doesn't find what most of us find funny, funny. The only thing he finds funny is the foolishness of Satan. I don't know whether I get my point. Yes. He that sits in the heavens shall shall laugh. When he wants to laugh, it's because people are plotting evil against you. And he's laughing. So look at these foolish people. They want to attack my chosen one. That's when he laughs. 
The time, if you read the Bible, when people laugh, they're either laughing like God, or they're also laughing in laughter of victory. The name of Isaac means what? Laughter. That is when God turned again the captivity of Zion. We're like them that dream. And then our mouths were filled with what? Laughter. We laugh when God does great things. The only time he laughs at foolishness is when the evil ones are plotting against his people, against the anointed ones. And he said, look at, look at these foolish people. They're so his own laughter is always a laughter to signify the victory that he has already determined. Do you get the point I'm trying to make here? Otherwise, when it comes to jokes, no, Jesus doesn't joke. I'm sorry to say it. Oh, he does not joke. He doesn't joke. Everything he says, you can take it literally. Even if it's funny to you, you can take it literally. So Jesus spoke casually. And the tree died. And they asked him, why? He says, because my faith in God is constant. So if Christians are going to have faith that works in critical times, it must be because the faith has been what? Constant. So Jude said, build yourself up. Now let me add new words now. Constantly on your faith. Exercise your faith all the time. Now, contrary to what we think, that faith is something we use in the time of trouble. No, faith is what we use all the time. It's not something we just use in the time of trouble. So the time we exercise our faith, actually, usually there is no trouble. There's no trouble. For example, Thanksgiving over food is an exercise of faith. Yeah? I'm serious about that. That's why Jesus never eats without giving thanks. He never ate without giving thanks. And you and I must never put food in our mouth without... Now, not... Listen... Yesterday I was talking in, at Abakliki about root worship. About root words. Words we just utter because that's how we speak in our church. Not words born out of the bowels of the spirit. Words that we truly believe. Born out of things that we really believe. Let's, not, let's stop giving thanks for food like that. No. Let us learn to give thanks seriously. Deliberately. Sometimes you give, you give, a, you give a lecture to yourself over the food. Why? So as to say, Father, I thank you. You are the reason why I have this slice of bread in my hand. You are the reason why I can chew the bread. You are the reason why I can swallow it. I thank you for water that's going down with it. It's an exercise of faith. Let me quickly end here. So there are three areas I wanted to explain to us where Christians must deliberately build their faith. I want to say build your faith. This is what it means. You deliberately build your life on the word of God. You form everything with God's word. Three areas. Um, having thought about it, if you do those three things, then you will be building your life so that you have faith constantly. These are the three areas. Number one, you build your expectations. Now, I'm not putting them in any order of importance. Just listen to them the way they are coming out of my mouth. Number one, you build your expectation of life your understanding of life on God's word. Like we said on Tuesday, except you read the prophetic word, you cannot understand what is going on physically. By faith, we understand. Remember that. Okay, we read from Isaiah 53 that when Jesus was on the cross, if you did not read Isaiah 53, you wouldn't understand what was going on on the cross. So deliberately, we build our expectations and our understanding of life on the word of God. 
That is one. We deliberately, we build our expectation. And then I've added another thing to it. I don't know whether I should separate them later. And our understanding of life. Oh, let me separate them. Let's make them four. Okay? So one, you build your own, own expectation of life on God's word. Two, you build your understanding of life. You deliberately decode the affairs of life with God's word. It's an exercise. It's exercise. You get up and do it. We'll talk about them in subsequent meetings. Number three, you build the precepts by which you operate every aspect of life. You deliberately build. Now, notice my words. Deliberate. You are deliberate. You are deliberate about it. That is, you are getting married. You don't believe you know anything about marriage until you can quote the references you are using. And it's scripture. Or at least a prophetic word. Somebody who taught you scripture. You are starting business. Assume you know nothing. You don't even know how to buy and to sell. You can't even calculate percentage. Until you have learned it from the word. That is you deliberately build the precepts with which you are doing your business on the word. Is that deliberateness I'm emphasizing? Then how many have I listed now? That's three. And then, number four. I'm talking about your expectations about life, right? Yes, I mentioned I didn't explain. Okay, but I will explain them later. Expectation, understanding, and then precepts of life. And then number four, your words. The words you speak to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to that word, it is because they have no light in them. You make sure that every time you speak, you never disagree with the word of God. No matter how you feel, how you feel is another issue. As me ever since you were 10, you've realized you are atta- attracted, you are a man, you are attracted to men. That's how you feel, right? You have an evil spirit, but that's how you feel. Are you getting my point? Uh-huh. <laughs> but when you open your mouth, you never discuss how you feel. You discuss what the word of God says. You say God says it's an abomination. That way you will go to prayer and say, right now I have an abomination problem. Are you getting my point? And then deliverance is next, next door to you. It's, the, the, the deliverance is your portion. The problem why demons stay is people make excuses for it. So every word we speak must be words backed by scripture. We speak only in accordance with that which is written. I hope you've gotten my point. Let's bow down here. Let's just stop it here. Let's give a lot of thanks. Let's give a lot of thanks. Let's say, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. Let's say, Lord, we thank you. Let's give him thanks for his word that we have learned. Let us give him praise. Let's worship the Lord with our words. Let's say, Lord, we acknowledge you. Now ask him, Lord, this words I have heard, let them walk in my life. Let them not depart from me. Let them walk in my life. Let them not depart from me. We don't have much time to stay here for that. So I want to advise everybody, when you get home, there are things you heard this evening. You need to pray about them. Get back home and pray. Take time out this evening, 30 minutes, one hour. Talk to the Lord about it. Talk to the Lord on your needs when you get home. You understand? But just for a minute here, just respond to the word in whichever way God was speaking to you. Respond with your own words. Take, take with you words. Say, Lord, I commit myself to that new instruction, which I abandoned three years ago. Now I know it was your instruction. But the flesh, the flesh, the flesh won. 
Right now, I win over again. I take the flesh down. I bring my spirit above. I begin to obey the instruction, which I had three years ago. And again, said, the Lord said to you, what are you going to do about what I told you ten years ago? Ten years, and the man neglected it. Sometimes we are that bad. We neglect instructions. There are things you heard years ago. Say, Lord, I record them to mind. I record them to mind right now. I record them to mind. I record them to mind. Let's give the Lord thanks. Let us give the Lord thanks. In the name of Jesus we have prayed. Lord, I bless your people with your blessing. As you depart from here, goodness will go with you. Amen. Say amen like you believe it too. Amen. Goodness will go with you. Amen. Mercy will go with you. Amen. Favor will surround you like a shield. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Every kidnapper is frustrated in your situation. Amen. In your case, there is confusion for their lives. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If they want to relay you, they will see a battalion of soldiers around you. Is the angels of God they are seeing. You will never be alone. Amen. Your children, wherever they are, they are safe. Amen. Your loved one is safe. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I declare the word of God. No evil will befall you. Amen. And no plague will come near your dwelling place. Amen. If you are sick in your body, I declare you are healed now in Jesus' name. Amen. I need to say that again. If you are sick in your body now, I declare that you are healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Incurable or not, it's not the Lord's business. To him, healing is your portion. Amen. Jesus died on that cross. And he hung your sickness on the cross with Jesus Christ. And when he rose up from the dead, he left your sickness in the grave. So right now, you are totally free. Amen. Uh, I said right now, you are totally free. Amen. From inherited diseases, you are free. Amen. From infections, you are free. Amen. From what they call disease of old age, you are free. Amen. There are scars they say will never go away. In your case, they are wiped away now. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God will take glory in your life. Amen. Oh, that excites me. God will take glory in your life. Amen. God will do something for you that even you, nobody can doubt is the one that did it. Amen. I say it again. You are healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Amen. By faith, say amen. No, now, before you say that amen, think about an area you want to direct that word to. Just think about it for like five seconds. And I'll say what I said again. Then you just say amen. And this time around, your amen is directed. Are you getting my point? Now, in Jesus' name, you are healed. Father, we give you praise. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Come on, let's share the grace in fellowship. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ.